verses 1 through 16. This is Luke writing the narrative of Paul's journey back to Jerusalem. God's word says this, And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kaz, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we went to Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. We'll stop there. Please be seated. Let's pray and ask God's help. Lord, we do thank you this morning for our privilege to be your people in this place, to be able to sing praise to you, and now to be able to look at your word. Lord, help us through your Holy Spirit to respond as you would have us to respond. Help us as we interact. We know, Lord, this is not an intellectual exercise alone something spiritual. And so we pray for your spirit to be the leader and the guide as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in looking at this passage and thinking as we come to the end of Paul's journeys and looking back, it just seems like we have the same type of situations today. That's not just something historical that they did back then. Isn't that interesting? Uh, There's a reason why uh, episodes and lives are included in Scripture. 
we know that there was more, and we're going to see this morning, there was more going on evangelistically than what Paul alone was doing. Various apostles went various places. Uh, By God's choice, the account we get for our sake as part of his holy word inspired is the accounts of Paul. Other things are going on. There's transitions all the way. And I look at this and just thought of transitions and life changes. Boy, we are different people than we were maybe when we were married or when we graduated from high school. And life is a series of, of uh, events. One singer was describing her life in the old days. Uh, and she said, and the title of her song was, That Was Another Country. And she wasn't talking about another country, country. She was just a Lancaster girl with a band. And uh, she's still that. But we know things have evolved in our own lives. We're not the same, yet we are the same. But it's progress of, of life and life stations. As I said, when I prayed, we think, well, boy, it's tough here in these early days of trying to make a living and economics this and maybe whatever president's in office, we blame that or economics and this and that. But boy, when I land that job and I start making that level of money and I start being able to pay that rent or or purchase that house or do whatever it is, then it's going to get easier. And then... The Lord sends some kids along, and there's struggles in, in life at, at every stage. And, and marriages can take a hit. And economics are still factors in our lives, and there's still forces outside of us. And it just starts and stops and starts and stops. One of our former members, John Alsdorf, talked about what it was like to finally hit that point where he was able to retire, and he and Joel had all these plans for travel and for things. Only one problem, a week afterwards, Joel got her diagnosis. And everything changed. Everything starts and stops. And we can't plan it. We just have changes in life. We have new things. Paul had this. This is a picture of our lives as well on this earth. What's going to happen? And we've lived our lives, we reinvent our lives, quote unquote, move to a new town, get a new career, do something different. Uh, And it's just a series of little changes on our way. What does the Bible say about this? What's permanent and what's lasting? And this passage just as we see these things, and I broke it down into just three little sections that we're going to look at. Uh, the first section, new friends who turn out to be old friends become permanent friends. One week's time, Paul becomes deeply enmeshed in a friendship with these folks. Second section of this passage, old adversaries who are really allies Meet for the last time. And finally, new threats resemble old threats. 
but are ultimately ineffective. It's just Luke's narrative and how he breaks it down. And I want us to understand the fear of transition or the hope of transition. All of this is under God's hand. There's a reason why we sang the song about God being the potentate of time. There's a boss of time, and it's not us. It's not me. It's not you. I can make a plan, and then something happens, and my little financial plan just got backed up by 12 months or 24 months or or whatever it is. Uh, We have no idea. Boy, when the kids are gone or when the kids come or when the job does this, we have no idea. Boy, if only so-and-so gets elected, boy, then who knows? God knows. God is the potentate of time. And there's a reason why I wanted us to sing that great hymn, Like a River Glorious. Stayed upon Jehovah. Fix on Jehovah. On God. That's when our hearts are blessed. That's where the calmness is. Boy, it's a, it's a craziness outside, but that shelter from the storm is there by that river glorious of God's peace that flows through us no matter what. And there's a lot of times I need to be reminded of that. I need you to help me because it gets crazy. I need Paula to remind me. She needs me to remind her. We need to help each other and walk each other and make sure we have a perspective that God is in charge and we belong to God and God's not rattled by any of this. And so that's what I was thinking as I first approached the text. Let's take a look and break it down and let's see what we see in, in God's word as we, as we see this. First thing, and, and you know, they, these are not alliterated, they're not cute. I didn't get them out of a book, obviously. They came out of my head because there's not a, they don't rhyme, they don't even start with the same letter. But there's three good points here, three things for us to see. And the first one is this. We see in Paul's life, the new friends who were really old friends that became permanent friends. We saw him last week. He left people that he'd been with for these years, and he loved them, and they knew him. Remember how they wept with him, and it says at the very end of chapter 20, uh, there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, and they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And there was a farewell that was tearful based on years of seeing and going and talking and and being a part of. And then he goes to the next place and he's there one week. And you see the same thing. The family's coming out and walking with him as far. And you say, that does not make sense. Something's not right. He's leaving his old friends tearfully and that's natural. They were family. But you would think that Paul wouldn't get entangled emotionally with any new people and they wouldn't have time to get entangled with him. They weren't accompanying him just to get his autograph because he was the famous Paul who was going to write all these books of the Bible and have some churches named after him and stuff like that. They weren't with him to get a selfie with him. They were there with him. It was a different culture in that day. He wasn't the celebrity. He was the brother in Christ. He was the spiritual one who, who was teaching and ministering to them spiritually. It's different. So I said you would think he wouldn't get entangled with any more people, but God is the ultimate networker. 
God is a networker. God puts people where he wants at the time he wants when he needs them at the, at the place uh, for his glory, for his perfection. You are here as a member of the church because God led you here. You don't take it lightly. God puts his people together for his reasons. God didn't save any of us to be alone. God saved people. He put them in churches. Didn't say, I'm the vine and you're the branch. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Plural. There's a church and there's a church history and there's an unfolding of of time and, and, and place where God brings people when he needs them there. Yeah, I'll share this. I was sharing this. I was talking this morning a little bit. I was thinking about just even our, our church. Go back five years, you wouldn't recognize it. Go back five years, you really wouldn't recognize it. The only ones here that are here from the 15 years, from the very beginning, that's Herb and I own who picked us up uh, at uh, the Ethan Allen when we came up to visit. We had lunch with them. I was reading a book by John Grisham because I remember talking with you about, I don't remember which one, but we were talking about that. We were talking about things and then we went on to interview at New Haven and then we came back. And uh, Herb's got the famous line when I said, the only ones that are here from the very beginning, Graviuses and Hutchinsons, and Herb gave the classic line, survival of the fittest. <laughs> and that's true. Um, boy, I was talking to, 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 to Ted and given a little history of the church. And, and I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story, Mark, about how you came. And God, God sent Mark at the time when we needed him the most. And I said it was like a pack of, 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 of uh, it was like how dogs treat each other. And when I would get really rowdy, <laughs> Mark could give me that little bit of a calm down type of a nip. And that was perfect for times like that. Uh, it, was a, it was a tough time for a while. And I'm thanking God for who he sends and when he sends them and how he sends them. Every one of you are God's gift to this church. You are God's gift. Every one of you. And you are here because a loving God puts you here at this point in time. We're thinking about Paul. We're thinking about him having a deep relationship after those three years and with his team but then after a week's time having a similar deep relationship with Christians, not ones who he led to the Lord, ones who God saved using other people. But there it was. Understand, God makes us capable of loving our fellow Christians, and it does not take a long-term relationship for Christians to love each other if that love is a godly spiritual love as opposed to an emotional love. Paul's love and these people's love was not self-centered but spiritual. Boy, the wickedness of your pastor trying to grow a church like building a business, sucking up to people, not necessarily speaking the truth in love, but trying to get people to build a church so we we could be a successful church plant. 
And God's saying, I'm going to build my church anyway in spite of you, and I'm going to teach you some things along the way. I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I've got a long passage for us to talk about our relationship with each other. We're considering Paul's relationship with that church, the ones he had known for a long time and the ones he had known for only a week. And we're seeing the difference, what a relationship among Christians with each other is like compared to what we see and are taught by a godless world about what relationships are supposed to be like and how to build long-term relationships. This is our old buddy Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Again, it's a long passage. I'm going to read it slow, and we're going to think through it. This is so vital for us. He contrasts the emotional love of neighbor versus a spiritual love of neighbor. This is in his book, Life Together. He said, there is such a thing, likewise is the word he used, there is likewise a merely emotional love of neighbor. Such love is capable of making the most unheard of sacrifices. Often it far surpasses the genuine love of Christ in fervent devotion and visible results. I see people who aren't even believers who love each other, and sometimes I say, boy, if only the church could copy them. (laughs) Boy, then we'd really, wait a minute, that's me speaking wrongly, speaking rashly, and not thinking. There is an emotional love of neighbor that does great things, almost godly-looking things. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, that kind of emotional love speaks the Christian language with overwhelming and stirring eloquence. But it is what the Apostle Paul is speaking of when he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but do not have love, that is the love of Christ, I would be nothing. In other words, if I combine the utmost deeds of love with the utmost devotion toward people, and you see people that are doing all these things, you go, man, they got to be Christians, right? Because... How would, they, how would they do all these sacrificial things for people? Surfacey, not, not just surface, but deep things, real things for people. And Paul says, if I do that, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. There's a Christian love that, that is deeper and transcends that. What is that? Bonhoeffer again. Self-centered love loves the other for the sake of itself. Spiritual love loves the other for the sake of Christ. That is why self-centered love seeks direct contact with other persons. It loves them not as free persons, but as those whom it binds to itself. It wants to do everything it can to win and conquer. It puts pressure on the other person. Uh, It desires to be irresistible, to dominate, Self-centered love does not think much of truth. It makes the truth relative, since nothing, not even the truth, must come between it and the person loved. Emotional, self-centered love desires other persons, their company. It wants them to return its love, but it does not serve them. On the contrary, it continues to desire, even when it seems to be serving. It's hanging a banner out and saying, All are welcome, which is biblical and true. But all are welcome, meaning 
We're not going to confront you with your sin and your need of a Savior. We'll sacrifice the truth to get you to come in here and you just stay as you are, but let's grow and let's love each other, lovey, 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 without a biblical truth behind it. A couple of convicting paragraphs later, he writes, emotional self-centered love turns into personal hatred when it encounters genuine spiritual love that does not desire but serves. Self-centered love makes itself an end in itself. It turns itself into an achievement. Let's prize. Turns it into an idol that worships, to which it must subject everything. It cares for, cultivates, and loves itself and nothing else in the world. I heard this with my own ears one time. Celebrity pastor was mad because a a family's called on a different pastor, a lesser light from that church, to officiate a funeral. And the pastor said, why wouldn't they want me to do it? I saved their marriage, telling everybody about that. That sounds like somebody selfishly trying to gather uh, uh, little trophies and people that owe him. It doesn't sound like Christ is the goal in that relationship. Bonhoeffer. I do not know in advance what love of others means on the basis of the general idea of love that grows out of my emotional desires. All this may instead be hatred and the worst kind of selfishness in the eyes of Christ. Only Christ in his word tells me what love is. Contrary to all my own opinions and convictions, Jesus Christ will tell me what love for my brothers and sisters really looks like. Therefore, spiritual love is bound to the word of Jesus Christ alone. It's not always going to look like the world's definition of love, spiritual love that Christians have for each other. Hang in there. Just a couple more phrases to go. Because Christ stands between me and an other, I must not long for unmediated community with that person. As only Christ was able to speak to me in such a way that I was helped, so others too can only be helped by Christ alone. That pastor didn't save anybody's marriage. God saved that marriage, choosing to use that flawed pastor. Hopefully that flawed pastor used the word of God, and that's what saved it. Bonhoeffer. However, this means that I must release others from all my attempts to control, coerce, and dominate them with my love. In their freedom from me, other persons want to be loved for who they are, as those for whom Christ became a human being, died and rose again, as those for whom Christ won the forgiveness of sins, and prepared eternal life. Because Christ has long since acted decisively for other Christians, before I could begin to act, I must allow them the freedom to be Christ's. They should encounter me only as the person that they already are for Christ. This is the meaning of the claim that we can encounter others only through the mediation of Christ. What do we have between us, you and me? Well, maybe we share a love of baseball or Van Morrison, or whatever it is, some surfacey things like that. 
What do we really have and what do we only have? Christ has saved us from our destination. And that's our common denominator. Uh, We try to approach people and and build friendships and build communities and build this and do that. Uh, Sometimes ignoring Christ except for when he's preached and, and, and sung about on a worship service and everything else is trying to build community, build community, build community. Can't do it without Christ. Wrong to try without Christ. Because Christ has long since acted decisively for other Christians before I could begin to act. I must allow them freedom to be Christ's. They should encounter me only as a person that they already are in Christ. This is the meaning of the claim that we can encounter others only through the mediation of Christ. Self-centered love constructs its own image of other persons about what they are and what they should become. It takes the life of the other person into its own hands. Spiritual love recognizes the true image of the other person as seen from the perspective of Jesus Christ. It is the image Jesus Christ has formed and wants to form in all people. Paul didn't say, I think think you should be people who also go to Jerusalem and die with me. That's the way to be. And he didn't get in there. He preached Christ. He did what he was called to do. He allowed them to do what they were called to do. I'm not the Holy Spirit, and you're not the Holy Spirit. But praise God we have a Holy Spirit who indwells us, and we can speak, and we can love, and we can, we can meet each other as Christians. It transcends being Americans. It transcends being Democrats or Republicans. I meet fellow Christians, well... I'll say it again this week because it's, it's there in Acts. All this race stuff. What's the unifier of race and sex and class? If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Christ is the one who saves. Christ is the one who adopts. Christ is the one who makes us into his family. There's a self-centeredness and there's a desire to please so much that sometimes we can forget the truth. Paul described himself speaking the truth in love. We ministered. Some people, pastor who tried to train me way back when, old Finley, he used to say, Dave, speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. Make sure you speak the truth. Other people need to hear Speak the truth in love and make sure you're loving. (laughs) It's just how God makes us all that, but we all have to understand there's a truth. We can want to please people so much and and desire their pleasing and and coming and being and absorbed and belonging. We can do that to the point that it's detrimental to them. And judgment day and God separating the sheep and the goats. And uh, they go, why are all of you over there? Why didn't you tell me this? Why did I even come to your church and be part of everything? And I didn't really get this part about the gospel, but you loved me and welcomed me in, quote, unquote. Paul and I went to an event 
We had to travel to this. Took our luggage and we went and stayed in the people's house. And uh, we had to go, we, we got into that place in a state a long ways away with this family. And there's a young man there about 30 years old or so. And boy, he, he wants to be pleased like a little puppy dog. He wanted to be pleased, please, please, please. Serve, 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 serve. Uh, and and in, some, in some cases, when people are so much that way, it kind of makes you sick and turns you off. But in his case, he wanted to just love him and be pleased with him. He just wanted it so bad. Paula has a white blouse that she needs to have iron. And now you know what story I'm going to tell. It's a funny story. It wasn't funny at the time. So, oh, he runs. He gets the ironing board. He gets the iron. He, he sets it all up and waits there to be, you know, padded while he wags his tail because he did all that serving stuff. And we've got to get going. This isn't a big event in an, in an hour. And Paula puts the iron on, and all this rusty stuff comes and just mangles and messes this shirt up. You know what he says? Yeah, it's been doing that to us, too. The last few shirts I've tried to iron, and it messed us up. And I'm like, what? Uh, we would have preferred to have heard the truth that there's no ironing board, let Paula figure out how to steam it over a sink or do whatever, than for you to get your temporary uh, love from us for being such a servant and a giver and not tell us the, what you knew to be true. <laughs> You're not going to wear that shirt if you use this ironing board on it. Are we a church? Can, can we possibly be that kind of a church? Come on, come on, come on, come on. We'll give you a crutch, give you a crutch, and never tell you how you can be truly healed. What was the bond? What happened with Paul and these people he'd only known for a week? There had to be a bond, and it wasn't force of personality that was carrying it. You can read from Paul's other writings. He said, I didn't come to you with uh, this kind of speech and that kind of speech. They had bigger personalities, and God gives some people big personalities, and some he gives uh, not big personalities. What unites God's people, the common denominator, the Holy Spirit living in you through Christ, that gift of of, uh, Repentance and, 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 and faith in Christ. And that's our bond. That's the only way. Boy, I got on this mailing list and I can't not receive it. It's a good one. It's called Ministry Watch. Some guy, and it's his calling because all these Christians are giving billions of dollars to all these Christian organizations. And he's kind of like putting the expose on some of these. Saying, wait a minute, before you give, they're not financially accountable. Before you give this and that. And the worst are the ones where you see the, the, um, the adulterous situations that happen in churches. You go, how could that youth pastor do that? How could that assistant pastor do that? How could this person do that? Boy, and everybody says, well, we're just so shocked. Oh, how did it happen? Such a nice guy. Well, maybe he was not such a nice guy. And maybe his approach to those people in his congregation was him being the Savior instead of the Savior being the Savior. And maybe what we've got to have as our core and what unites us is our relationship in Christ. And this is why 
when it's right. This is why Paul could go into this place and after a week's time, spirits witnessing with the others and they say this is family. Because it wasn't built on trying to build an organization. It was built on what Jesus Christ had done in the lives of people. And that's our approach to each other. I was trying to think through this scripturally and think, I think the only place where the scripture says that two shall become one flesh is in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. The rest it talks about unity. I guess we are one flesh. We're, as man, this would be a good paper for some smart person to write about being part of the body and, and all of that, and we are that. But listen, we approach each other, not emotionally, to get people to like us. And this drive for likes, this drive for approval, never forget this story of a sheriff in the Chicago area, and these people were doing terrible things, and they were having it on Facebook live when it first came out. And he says, they said, how could these people do these heinous things to this person? And he said, they got caught up in the likes. Paul's relationship with the people he encountered, even after a short time that was deep, could only become real and only become what it was because what unified them was the Holy Spirit. We see this situation where new friends really are old friends or really are family, and they became permanent friends. You know what? They walked with him. They prayed with him. They said goodbye to him. And they're all reunited with him in heaven. Keep our goal toward heaven in this transitory world. Second thing, quickly. Former adversaries who are really allies who meet one last time. Verses 7 through 9. I love this this little story. Because you always wonder, what happened to people? Whatever happened to dot, dot, dot? Whatever happened to her? How did he turn out? What happened? Uh, my, my buddy from college came and visited us and stayed a couple days. And, and boy, it was good to catch up because I'm not on social media. And I, I, don't know, I don't see what everybody's doing. I, I can't track everybody down and keep up with their lives. And uh, so a few people that he stayed up with and stayed friends with, hey, Tim, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, really? Good. And some brought smiles to my face and some brought uh, sadness to my heart. Whatever happened to Philip? Luke says in verses 7 through 9, when we finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. Next day we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. This goes back to Acts chapter 6. He was one of the seven, uh, the forerunners to the deacons. He, along with Stephen and the others, were, were named as leaders in the church to do the, the work of service. And we see him out there with the... Um, Ethiopian eunuch and places like that. Whatever happened to him? Well, Paul and Luke and the bunch stayed at his house. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. That's all we know about him, that follow-up. But you think about this. Think about the seven, two famous ones out of that group, Philip and Stephen. The others are famous with God, and they did God's work. 
We just didn't get to hear their stories. We can hear them in heaven, perhaps, however it works up there. We know about Stephen because Stephen was martyred. Stephen was killed for his faith. He was stoned. There was a young man there that was keeping the coats for the people while they killed Philip's uh, co-worker, co-officer. And that was Paul. And this roused something that sent for blood like a shark. Sent Paul on a mission. Uh, It says he ravaged the church, locking up men, women. He would have got Philip if he could have. He would have killed him. Oh, Philip's got daughters? Oh, they're Christians? Kill them too. That was his mindset. And here he is now staying under his roof. Totally unexpected. Totally unplanned. Who would have thought that? He just said, Philip, you're on the run. Remember that guy, Saul? He's going to stay at your house. (laughs) No, he's not. Yes, he is. And you're going to have fellowship with him. And that same spirit uh, that's in you is in him. You're going to talk about ministry. Maybe his daughter made him a plate of snickerdoodles, and he enjoyed that as he talked. And they had their good time together, and they fellowshiped. And you think about this. How do things like this happen? And there's only one explanation. That is supernatural. That is God's supernatural salvation, where God can take somebody who's sworn to kill somebody for his faith and give him the same faith and make them allies. What can we learn from this? One thing is to not be so quick to write anyone completely off. It's not over till it's over. Don't write them off. Not dead yet. We have the persecuted church saying, please pray for the persecutors. Voice of the Martyrs talks all the time about people who are persecuting Christians who see the way that the Christians suffer for the Lord and their graciousness in return. And it happens more often than we uh, realize that the persecutors become Christians as a result of of the faith of those who they are killing. A person who prays for the director of the abortion clinic to receive Christ, and it happens. Here's a woman who supervised sending flesh out in buckets and selling some and and doing everything, and, and somebody says, my mission is to pray for everyone that walks in there to work. It's not to jump out behind a bush and shoot them. Mine is to pray for them. You can see the former directors of, of these places say, here's what happened, and God saved me, and I'm so glad somebody prayed for me and didn't kill me for the wicked things I did. Don't give up praying. Don't give up seeing, and don't be surprised. God can save whoever God wants to save. And it's a trophy to God's salvation. In people's lives, there is no such thing as too far gone. It's not over. We don't know what happens. Uh, No such thing as too far gone unless God wants it to be gone. God's, God's the boss of that. But God saved Paul. And there he was, having a cup of coffee with Philip. Who would have thought it? So here's an assignment. If you're going to watch the news anyway... First assignment, don't watch the news. (laughs) Second assignment, if you're going to sneak a peek at the news, pick out one person this week who seems to be so outside of God's agenda, you say, this person, she'll never, or he'll never, whoever, 
and you say, I'm going to pray for that person. That's your, that's your assignment this week. You don't, you don't have to come back and report that you did that, but why not? Why not? If you're going to watch a little bit of the news anyway, just so you kind of know what's going on, pick out the, the farthest one out there, the one cheering and celebrating when they do some wicked piece of legislation and, 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 and say, yeah, I'm going to pray for her. <laughs> yeah. We don't know if Philip ever prayed this way for Paul. If Philip had prayed that way for Paul, he'd be pretty happy that he prayed and that God used his prayers to save Paul. But I bet Philip, having had that conversation, having heard all of this and saying, I bet, I bet Philip's approach toward the end of his life as, as he went on was to say, don't write anybody off. And as we grow in the faith, we say, if God can save me, he can save anybody else. And we get to that point, not if God can save Paul, but if God can save me. It's not over till it's over. Last thing, new threats that resemble old threats but are ultimately ineffective. Uh, verses 10 through 16. Agabus comes, grabs Paul's belt, wraps it around himself. We've seen Agabus before. He's made a prophecy that's been true. God's speaking through him. God's speaking through him not to tell him, not to tell Paul not to go, but saying this is going to happen. It's confirmed. And you see Paul saying, I'm going to go anyway. And the people finally saying, like Jesus said in Gethsemane, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But you see these new threats, deeper threats, permanent threats. Paul had faced them. This was the biggie. My 80-year-old dad last summer said to me, well, Dave, it's good, but you know you're never, ever trouble-free. He said, even an old guy like me, ready to go to heaven, uh, is not without worries and troubles and, and fears. That's life on earth, people. That's life on earth. It's thinking of that movie where the old man's telling his adult son, talking about another son. And he says, you never stop being a parent. You never run through the end zone. You never get to spike the football and celebrate and say it's all done. Uh, you're a parent. As long as you've got kids uh, alive, you're still their parent, and you still have your stuff. As a human on this planet, you're never, ever going to be trouble-free on this planet. There's always going to be. And as a Christian on this planet, when Jesus said, if they did this to me, they'll do this to the people in the house, you're never going to escape until you get to heaven. I wrote this, Christian, you do get to stop facing persecutions. You do get a break from the fightings and fears within and without, but that happens when you get to heaven. That's when you cross the Jordan. That's when you spike the football. That's when Jesus comes and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And on the way there, there's good days and bad days. Ultimately, Paul will be imprisoned. Ultimately, he will finally die. They're begging him not to go. He's going. And his, his attitude is, is Jesus' attitude, and it's, it's our attitude when we're thinking right. Whatever God wants. Somebody said, that's the prayer that never fails. Not my will, but thine be done. Man, that one, that one always succeeds. Not my will, but thine be done. What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to this world? What's going to happen with 
who knows? Who knows what virus is launching now? Who knows what rules are happening now? Who knows who's the boss? Well, we don't know what's going to happen on this earth to our bodies, to laws, to rules, to, to ourselves. We don't know. God knows. And we know that whatever happens, we are okay because we are Christians. And then I wrote as we closed this, uh, before we go to the table, and we get to walk it together. Love your local church. Love the broader church. Love the people in your church, not in a self-centered way uh, to, to feed some need that you have, but love them as, as fellow Christians mediated by Christ and who you are as Christians. We get to walk it together. And then I said, and love your personal relationship with God through Jesus. We get to heaven. Don't know how it all works up there. We know it's farther up, farther in. I like how Lewis put that. We know it's growth. It's not just sit around and be amoebas somewhere or float on a cloud or whatever. Like uh, there, there's, a, there's a growth, but it's a perfection. And that's where we're headed. And we keep our eyes on that. And that's how we run our race. Let's have fun in this existence with its fears and joys. Let's love each other with spiritual and not self-centered love. And let's pray and watch to see how God brings even earthly adversaries into union with himself and therefore union with us through Jesus. No fear when we're walking with Christ. Perfect love casts out fear. I have loved you with a perfect love, an everlasting love, says God. And that's where we turn. In our humanness, boy, if we need somebody to come alongside us and give us a little nip and say, calm down, eyes on the prize, eyes up, not on people, uh, good. <laughs> Sometimes we're called on that to do that with other people. We walk as individuals who've been saved by Christ together in a church for God's glory. And we get to heaven because God has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived that perfect life, tempted like we are yet without sin, our sacrifice. And that's what we have in common. That's our joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word here. Thank you for what we see of Paul and all these Christians. And oh, we can't wait to meet them. These people who were maybe little kids dragged along to, uh, with, with their parents to say goodbye to Paul after they'd seen him for a week. And we don't even know what this meant to them, but they grew up. Lord, we thank you for these daughters that... that uh, Philip had, and, and for the way that they stayed in the faith and, and did your work and your calling. We thank you for that. We cannot wait to worship you with them in heaven. We thank you for the saints of all ages and, and the ones to come. Lord, help us in our lives to not write off anybody who seems like they're just so far gone. We know that's not the case because we know that your power to save is greater than anyone's power to resist even. So we thank you for that. Help Christ the shepherd. Help us in our relationship with each other and with you. In Jesus' name, amen.